0: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about the Battle of Kadesh, which was a battle that, well, I mean, obviously... Oh, Obviously, it's a battle. What, 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 were you, what were you expecting to be? Historians are not the most imaginative group of people. Of course, it was a battle—the Battle of Kadesh. Um, it took place. It took place over three thousand years ago. We're going back a long way today, during the New Kingdom period of ancient Egyptian history. Now it's a particularly significant battle uh, for a couple of reasons, all of which we'll get across today. Firstly, it's the oldest battle that we have a very detailed record of. We know stuff like troop numbers, and we have a blow we have blow by blow accounts of uh, of how it all panned out. Um, and secondly, it resulted in the signing of the earliest known peace treaty, known as the Eternal Treaty, or sometimes as the Treaty of Kadesh. Uh, which is, uh, you know, a, a real. Well, I mean, calling it the Eternal Treaty actually, I just it, it actually gives it a pretty bloody big expectation. I mean, th- those are big shoes to fill. You sign a treaty called the Eternal Treaty. It's like, well, you're, you're going to be here until the heat death of the universe. Like, Oh, geez. All right. Okay. I better, I better get to work. Anyway, the Battle of Kadesh, it took place in 1274 BCE uh, when the Egyptian pharaoh Ramesses II, who you may have heard of, sometimes known as Ozymandias, uh, he came into conflict with the Hittite uh, emperor Muatali II. Now, these two they're scrapping over land here and there, uh, and in late May 1274 BCE, uh, this resulted in a battle that involved tens of thousands of men. A lot of the fighting was done on chariots too, as we'll discuss. A bunch of really interesting stuff about ancient warfare to talk about. Don't you even worry about it. Um, there's also a good amount of the content that you crave from you know just any regular old episode of half-assed history. There's battles, there's betrayal, there's you know a bit of blood and guts, and uh, well, uh, I don't know if you can call like a pitched battle horrible murder but there there is some of that I mean it is pretty horrible of course war is pretty bloody horrible and blokes killing each other is so yeah look I'll leave it up to you to decide um and then of course afterwards there's this peace treaty which is absolutely bloody fascinating to talk about first of its kind we'll have a have a chat about that properly uh, later on so terrific topic this one suggested by alert listener Odin Egan thanks Odin old son good on you there mate uh but let's get to it let's get into it let's get stuck in and and talk about the Battle of Kadesh and its consequent treaty off we go. Uh, we're going all the way back here, all the way back to uh, – well, geez, a very bloody long way. We, we could go back to 1274 BC when the, when the battle actually took place, but let's go back even further, I reckon, and we'll set the stage a bit. We'll go back to the 15th century BCE here from 1479 onwards to when a fella named uh, – Th- Thutmose or Thutmose uh, hmm. I, I actually don't know whether it's Thutmose or Thutmose, know, I spent ages I spent ages googling it, trying to find the answer, I mean, a good 3 or 4 minutes I spent there, but anyway, this bloke let's say Thutmose, the III, right uh, he's the greatest military leader that Egypt has ever seen, um, and this is interesting because Ancient Egypt wasn't, for most for much of its history, it wasn't particularly militarised. They had desert on two sides and the Mediterranean on the other, so they were pretty well set up there. And they also didn't have a huge interest in conquest and expansion a lot of the time because they believed that they already were on, like, the best land on Earth. They believed they already controlled the best land. So, you know, it's like that bloody Fatboy Slim al- album. I'm number one, so why try harder? Um, and this changed eventually. However, it changed significantly during the beginning of the New Kingdom period in the 17th century BCE. And by the time we get to Thutmose III, Egypt is a serious military power. And uh, Thutmose, he goes around, he's conquering the pants off neighbouring lands, expanding Egypt's empire to the greatest size it had ever seen. But in the years to follow, it, it did dwindle. The empire dwindled a little bit, uh, thanks to pharaohs uh, like the 14th century's Akhenaten, who was more concerned with religious reform than governing an empire. And uh, Egypt's neighbours, they took advantage of its lack, the lack of control that it had over its border territories and the emergence of the Hittite Empire in modern-day Turkey. This ultimately presented a, a direct political rival to Egypt. Now, these two nations, both very powerful, they skirmished here and there over land throughout Asia Minor and the Levant. Uh, although the Hittites, they didn't actually go after any land that was directly under Egyptian control. Instead, they expanded when, you know, Egypt's vassals revolted or they captured land that fell out of uh, Egyptian influence. And this was how one settlement in particular, the town of Kadesh, ended up under Hittite control. And that's going to be important in a sec here. Um, anyway, despite the Hittite Empire, despite, uh, despite them trying to avoid a scrap with Egypt directly, because you know even though they were both significant powers, you have to say that Egypt did have the better of it. They were slightly more powerful, even maybe even like considerably more powerful than the Hittites. And so the Hittites they did avoid direct confrontation with the uh, with the Egypt uh, with the Egyptians. There is just a lot of tension between the two nations, uh, uh, too much really for uh, this situation to last. And so when young Ramesses II... Uh, took the Egyptian throne in 1279 BCE. He's in his early 20s at this stage. Uh, it quickly came a gutsa because this young hothead, he decides he wants to restore Egypt to its, uh, its tutmosed glory of yesteryear. Uh, his old man and his grandfather, Seti I and Ramesses I, respectively, they'd also been trying to do the same thing. But Ramesses II, he kicked it into top gear after he became pharaoh. This uh, this involved politicking, shifting alliances and diplomacy, but it also involved, you know, getting a great big bloody army together to go and fight some wars, mate. So this is where the uh, – the, that's the, sa- the stage setting done, right? And we can now get into what actually was involved with this specific battle. Again, as I say, in uh, in the 1270s, 1275 now, uh, a year before the battle, four years into the reign of Ramesses II, he gathered his troops, he marched north into modern-day Israel, and then further into modern-day Syria. Now, in doing so, he was attempting to shore up Egyptian control over this region, which has historically had been under, under Egyptian influence, but as I say, this influence had dwindled over the years. Um, and while this didn't bring him into, uh, direct conflict with the Hittites, trouble was still brewing and Ramesses, you know, Ramesses, he's going around, he's rattling the old Kopech and, uh, well, actually, technically speaking, he was he wasn't, uh, I was trying to get in, I was trying to get a, uh, you know, cause it wouldn't be saber rattling, wouldn't, so I was going to go Kopech rattling, but I mean, Kopeches, as I'm sure you already know, they were, they were already falling out of use by the, uh, uh, by, by this stage in history, you, 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 but you understand what I'm saying. He, he's going around. He, he's he's sort of swinging the swinging the uh, the big stick rather than doing the speaking softly, and so it wasn't long. Before the two nations they met in open conflict. Now, as I mentioned, fair bit of tension between the Hittites and the Egyptians, and there has been for a fair while. The Hittite Empire, uh, you know, despite always falling short of directly attacking Egypt, had never stopped them. This had never stopped them from prodding away at uh, Egypt's weaker borders or swooping in to gain influence over a rebellious vassal. And one such area that the Hittites had gained control over uh, was this place I was talking about before the, the, the town, the city, the city of Kadesh, right? which was of particular importance as it was a major regional trading centre here. Now, Muatali II, he's the ruler of the Hittites, he has heard that Ramesses II was on the warpath, so he too moved to get troops ready for a fight. He fortified Kadesh with tens of thousands of soldiers. He had anywhere between 15,000 to 40,000 infantry and anywhere between uh, 2,500 to 10,000 heavy chariots, each of which carried three men. He'd also called in some allies and some vassals to pull together this massive army and he stood ready to defend Kadesh and the rest of the Hittite Empire from Ramesses' onslaught. But Ramesses, he wasn't mucking about with the size of him, his army either because he had anywhere between 20,000 and 50,000 soldiers with around uh, 2,000 light chariots which each, each carried two men. Now, we don't know the exact troop numbers. I did, we do have you know, relatively detailed records of, of, the, of this battle, but we don't have exact troop numbers. But what's important to note here? is that both armies were relatively evenly matched. So, you know, I gave you these ranges 15,000 to 40,000 for uh, for the Hittites and 20,000 to 50,000 for the Egyptians. Obviously, there're pretty big differences in those numbers, but it's not like, you know, Mutali had 40,000 soldiers to Ramesses, 20,000. They were both at similar ends of the spectrum here of, of wherever they ended up. They were both, you know, within uh, within range of each other here. Now the Egyptians they're armed with javelins, short swords. They're accompanied by Nubian archers with composite bows of bone and wood, and the Egyptian chariots. Right, I talked to you about these different chariot styles that the two nations have. Uh, big chariots, big heavy chariots on the on the side of the Hittites. There, are three blokes on each of them. The Egyptian chariots instead, they were small and they were quick. One bloke driving around while the other one shot arrows at the enemy. Uh, while the, while the you know, chariot's zipping around here, there and everywhere. So very, very mobile sort of archers, chariot archers here that the Egyptians had. Uh, conversely, as I say, the Hittite chariot's much bigger, much bigger, larger, stronger. Uh, they had three blokes on them. There's the driver, a spearman and a shield-bearer. So these ones were much more sort of in-your-face, right? They're Unlike the, the ranged G- Egyptian chariots, the Hittite chariots, they like to get up close and personal. They were used to shock troops, basically, to break enemy lines, then chase down routed troops, uh, you know, with, with both the chariots and also the supporting infantry. So the Hittites, they're dug in at Kadesh. They've got their uh, chariots. They've got the infantry, whatever else. Although skirmishing parties and smaller forces were sent out here and there to, you know, harry and harass Ramesses. And Ramesses, he's marching onwards towards Kadesh after heading up north uh, along the east coast of the Mediterranean. Mediterranean. he's got a, a number of divisions his army is uh, is um divided up into several divisions all of which name uh, bear the name of, of different uh, Egyptian gods and Ramesses he's right at the front he's right at the front in his chariot he's surrounded by his personal guard absolutely champing at the bit to get stuck in here he can't wait to go and crack some Hittite skulls this bloke he had huge dreams of restoring uh, the Egyptian empire he was keen as mustard to start the fighting and you know bathe in all the glory that would doubtless come with it And he had a bit of good fortune as well on the march to Kadesh. He's very, very lucky here because his army came across two Hittites, right? They came across two Hittites wandering about, and they captured them. Brilliant. Two prisoners. Fantastic. And these prisoners were questioned, and they told the Egyptians that Muatali was running scared. He'd abandoned Kadesh to its fate. He'd heard about the size of the Egyptian army. He was scared He's uh, his crap and his dax. And according to these two, Muatali had fled northward and was too scared to meet Ramesses in battle. Now, as you can imagine, Ramesses, he's bloody thrilled about this. He's going, well, bloody, what an easy time we're going to have over here. This is fantastic. I'm going to march right into an undefended Kadesh. I'm going to add it straight back to the empire. He's bloody loving life. He can't believe the, you know this lucky break that he's got here. So, Ramesses, he takes a division of his army, he takes his personal guard, he takes this, uh, the division, the Amun Division, they're all known, named after gods, as I said, um, and he tells the others, you, you blokes, you better quick, catch up quick smart because we're off. We're going you know, to make hay while the sun shines here and, and capture Kadesh while it's undefended. So he races off with his, uh, the Amun Division and his personal guard to take advantage of this situation. But here's what happens. Bloody Ramesses, mate. He thinks he's a legend. He's got tickets on himself, right? He thinks the sun bloody shines out of his own ass, he does. He's that keen on himself. He's gone, nah, this is going to be easy. I'm going to, I'm going to march in. I'm going to, I'm going to stroll into Kadesh, take it easy peasy, mac and cheesy. Don't even worry about it. But he's been utterly bamboozled. He's ac- He's been taken for a ride here like you he wouldn't believe because, right? Check this out. The two blokes who had been taken prisoner, they had been sent to, by Muatali. They had been to- they were spies. They'd been told to get captured and then lie to- through their teeth to Ramesses, because Muatali was hoping that this young pharaoh would fall into his trap, would do exactly what he did, race ahead with a small part of his army, hoping for a quick victory, and again, spring the jaws of this trap that Muatali had very cleverly sprung for him. Some versions of the story actually tell us that Ramesses took further Hittite prisoners on the way to Kadesh, who weren't spies, and actually told him the truth about the situation there. But by this stage, of course, it's too late. Ramesses in the division that he's taken, already far out of reach of the other four or five Egyptian divisions, he hadn't sent out scouts, he hadn't waited till the rest of his army had caught up, he'd marched off at top speed to Kadesh, and I'll tell you this, he's about to bloody pay the price for it, because between these new prisoners telling him the truth, between you know, arriving at the walls of Kadesh, seeing it bristling with enemy soldiers, seeing war camps and all that sort of stuff set up as well, he's gone bloody hell, mate. What a turkey I am! I've absolutely well. He probably didn't call himself a turkey, honestly. No, I mean, knowing what we do about the bike, he probably didn't call himself a turkey. Anyway, <laughs> he look. situation gets. He goes, "I've absolutely, absolutely been made a fool of here. What is going on here?" So he sets up. He sets up a camp. He sends off messengers uh, back to the other divisions, tell them to bloody well, her- you know, hurry up before the midden hit the uh, hit the windmill. And he calls all his lieutenants and all the princes and everyone else has come with him. Uh, to give them a proper tongue lashing for this intelligence failure. He's going, what is going on here, boys? How, how do we get to this situation where we've been told that Kadesh is bloody empty and look at this, it's bloody bristling like a hedgehog. What's going on there, mate? And while he's doing this, while he's chewing out all, his, uh, all, you know, all the people under him, we turn our attention now to the other divisions that had been told to hurry up. Now, one of them, the Ra division, it is marching towards Ramesses and his Amun division as fast as they can. They've got this message, need to get their quick smart. And as they're marching like this, Guess who rocks up, ready to take advantage of this hurry of this you know this hurried confusion? Of course, the Hittites—they've set this trap and they—they they absolutely mean to spring it. A thousand Hittite heavy charioteers they descend upon this unprepared Ra division as they're marching uh, marching towards the Amun division at top speed, and it is an absolute bloodbath. It is a total disaster. They've caught the Egyptians with their pants down. They are outnumbered. They are outgunned. Well. No, they're not outgunned at all are they? Neither of the te- neither of the sides are gunned, so it wouldn't really be possible for one to outgun the other. They're outnumbered and out-charioted, I guess. That's definitely true. Um the Egyptians mercilessly attacked by the Hittites, who's again, these hard-hitting, heavy chariots. They tear through the Egyptian division, and they scatter them. This is the perfect uh, opportunity to use these heavy chariots. They get up to top speed, ram into un- unprepared uh, defenders there, and, and completely rout them straight away. The Ra division overpowered, thrown into disarray. Their retreat was cut off by the Hittites. They've they've swept around at the back of them to their rear, and uh, so they're unable to retreat. They've actually got to flee forward towards Ramesses and his camp, which of course is just outside, outside the fortified city of Kadesh. So the Hittite chariots, they give chase, and now they batter into the Egyptian camp as well. Ramesses, he is still tearing all of his generals a new one as the Hittites arrive. But I have to say, We got to give the young bloke some credit here because he doesn't muck around. As soon as he hears that the attack has been, uh, that his camp is under attack, he leaps into his chariot and he gets ready to lead a counter charge against the Hittites. Or at least that's what the account written by the Egyptians afterwards that was specifically meant to glorify their pharaoh tells us. So take it as you will. Anyway, Ramesses, based on what we know, did what he could to rally his troops, both the routed Ra division and now the Amun division, who were doing their best, of course, to defend the Egyptian camp from the Hittite heavy chariots. the, the, the chariots have swept around, sort of pincered these two divisions between uh, between the city and uh, you know and and the the chariots themselves. And so the Egyptians are they're in a spot of bother. They're in a spot of bother, but. Ramesses apparently did a pretty bloody good job of pulling things back together, although again, this comes from an account that can be generously described as extremely bloody biased. Some of the things they say about this Ramesses bloke, you'd think he hung the moon, they love him so much. But the Hittite chariots at this stage, they're out of steam. I mean, figuratively, that is. They is. Don't forget, it's, it's 1274 BCE. We don't quite have steam-powered horses just yet. And so Ramesses, um, he, he rally, he, you know, him rallying his troops and mobilizing a proper defense, it really actually did start to turn things around. And here's the other thing. As Ramesses was getting his, his scattered troops together for a counteroffensive, the Hittites well and truly jumped the gun when it comes to the looting and the pillaging. So let's put ourselves in the situation of the Hittites here, right? They've swept around the, uh, to the arse end of the, the Ra division. All right, absolutely clobbered them. Don't even worry about it. They're routed. They're running away. Get to the camp, which is unprepared for a defence. The 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 Amun division—they're getting up. They're trying to defend themselves in these chariots, and again, knocked over, swept over. Okay, some blocks going off in their, in their Egyptian chariots. Don't worry about them. We'll deal with them later. Time for a good bit of looting and pillaging, I, I, I should think. Right. So the Hittites, because they did such a good job initially in attacking the Egyptian camp, many of the Hittites they stopped pursuing the fleeing Egyptians who are you know rallying to their Pharaoh, and instead start plundering the camp itself. And this proved to be a bad move because while Ramesses uh, is getting ready to re-engage with the Hittites, you know, the Hittites who hadn't stopped to loot and plunder, who were were chasing off the routed Egyptians uh, from the Amun and Ra divisions, right? So Ramesses, he's rallying his troops, he's getting ready for a counterattack. The rest of the Hittites, they're there in the camp, looting, pillaging, plundering, having a great time. But guess who turns up? Another division of Egyptian reinforcements. Remember, Ramesses had sent off messengers saying, you must come at all, at at top speed. With all speed, you must get here because we are really in trouble. And sure enough, in the middle of this looting and pillaging, a second group of reinforcements arrive and they put the Hittites to the fire and the sword this time. So for those keeping score at home, it is an absolute roller coaster. It's been an absolute roller coaster of a time so far. Firstly, the Hittites had the best of it, luring the egyptians into a trap, catching ramesses with his pants down, but they were too quick to celebrate, their you know, their supposed victory and get to the loot and the plunder. So as a result, the egyptian reinforcements just came and handed them their asses, scattered them, playing right into the counterattack that ramesses had drawn up. And here was where the egyptian chariots shone. They're quick, they're mobile, and they're able to chase down and punish the routed Hittites, who are at this point scattered running around everywhere. Ramesses, personally led the charge aboard his chariot, right? And again, the superiority at this stage of the Egyptian chariots was so obvious. The Hittite chariots, right? Slow, cumbersome, great when you're on the offensive, but not so great when you're being chased down yourself. And Ramesses, he's there in the thick of things on his chariot. has to be said, he, he charged into the enemy five or six times as the Hittites were driven off back towards Kadesh. Now, in this attempted withdrawal, right, Muatali he deployed another thousand chariots or so to face off against the Egyptians and try to protect those that with, were with in this absolute dog's breakfast of a battle so far. However, this was only partially successful. Muatali, right, in attempting to deploy these heavy, heavy chariots, his divisions had to cross a river. And Ramesses saw this and took advantage of the speed of his chariots to instead basically blockade one of the banks. He zipped his chariots over to the banks of the river that the Hittite chariots would have to cross to engage with the Egyptians, because he knew for, for, that for the Hittite chariots to be truly effective, they had to get up some speed. They had, to, they, had to, they had to have a fair run at their opponents to actually get up to become these you know, these heavy shock troops that the, when they were performing at their best. So he stopped this from happening. By blocking the path across the river, he prevented the Hittites from forming up properly or zooming across open ground towards the Egyptians. Very smart stuff from Ramesses, very smart stuff indeed, but Muatali didn't give up. His chariots, they spent hours attempting to blast their way across the river, but the Egyptians, they held the other bank and the Hittites never gained a foothold. So eventually, many Hittite charioteers, they were forced to abandon their chariots altogether, swim for shore, some of them drowned, and eventually a full retreat was sounded by the Hittites and everyone uh, everyone tried to zip back behind the safety of the of the walls of Kadesh. So, the Egyptians they gave chase, they chased the Hittites back to the walls of their city, which opened up a very interesting possibility for Muatali. And this was really a decision that, that that still puzzles some historians today because now as the Egyptians crossed the river, right, in order to give chase to the fleeing uh, to the fleeing Hittites, All of a sudden, there was the potential to trap the Egyptians between the walls of the city and the river that they had just crossed. But instead, Muatali did nothing. He didn't order another charge. He didn't try to pin the Egyptians between the, the city and the river. He just closed the gates of Kadesh, and that was it and this was not because he didn't have the numbers this was not because he didn't have the full like he very easily could have let a sortie out of the out of the city and again pin trapped the egyptians between the city and the river but he just didn't and there's no real fantastic explanation for why the, why he didn't take advantage of this uh, of this you know this opportunity but the fact of the matter is the gates of kadesh closed and that was kind of it the battle just was more or less a draw. <laughs> By now, evening was coming on. The Hittites are behind the walls of Kadesh. Ramesses he decides there's nothing more to be done tonight. So off we go, boys. Let's go back to camp and <laughs> set things back up and uh, we'll go to bed, I guess. And in the morning, right, Ramesses he wakes up. His army's there, ready to go, refreshed, restored, ready for battle once again. And Ramesses, he, took, he takes a fresh look at the walls of Kadesh, once again, bristling with all of these uh, these Hittite soldiers. And he says, yeah, nah, nah, I think we'll just leave it. So <laughs> rather than attack the city and subject it to, you know, a long, grueling siege that had no prospect of easy victory, Ramesses instead executed an incredible power move by turning around and just proclaiming victory. Kind of like, I don't know, like a cricket match getting rained off and one of the captains going, oh, yeah, but but we won, hey. I mean, It's an interesting line to take, for sure. He'd been caught out by, you know, some bamboozling spies sent out by Muatali. He had his pants pulled down by an ambush, pulled off by these Hittite chariots, and he'd completely failed to capture Kadesh. He hadn't even made a start on it. But you take your wins where you can get them, I guess. And rallying his troops and winning yesterday's battle, technically at least, was enough for him to avoid marking the frame zero. So he gathered his troops together... And he headed south to campaign elsewhere. Come on, boys, you know, we'll, we'll take our we'll take our ball and go somewhere else. So this battle, which was, I mean, at best, I mean, I guess technically it was an Egyptian victory because they were the ones who forced the retreat into Kadesh, but it was a draw. I mean, nothing changed. Ramesses had set out to capture Kadesh and he didn't do it. And, and <laughs> here's the best part. Because of that, right, as the Egyptians packed up and left... Muatali also claimed victory at the Battle of Kadesh. His routed chariots and infantry had scrambled back behind the walls of the city in a hasty retreat. He hadn't sallied forth to attack the Egyptians when their position was vulnerable, but they still held Kadesh. And, you know, what about that bloody brilliant ambush earlier, hey? So both leaders claimed victory. I, I suppose, again, if we go to the judges, we have to award it to egypt on points because technically they did win the battle in a tech in a a tactical sense forcing the full retreat but it is pretty bloody funny that one of the first battles that has such a uh, a specific and uh, and such a detailed record of it which did end in a draw ultimately had both sides (laughs) claim victory it is just absurd anyway in the time that followed Ramesses II, he continued to campaign against the Hittite. That's it. Sorry, that's the Battle of Kadesh. We're done. Like, that's the story of the battle. Nothing, nothing else happened. They, they didn't keep fighting for Kadesh, and they turned up one afternoon. There was a bit of fighting, a bit of back and forth. Both of them walked away, said, yep, yeah, we won. Don't need to continue there, right? Because it didn't really seem to suit either of them to continue this fight for Kadesh. And on top of that, the fact that, the fact that both of them claim victory... Meant that they were able to kind of spin the Battle of Kadesh for their own sort of you know political gain, and this is particularly true of Ramesses. And I mentioned before how a lot of what we know uh, about this battle comes from uh, texts that were written by the Egyptians in its wake, and many of them were written to glorify and 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 turn this uh, turn Ramesses into a hero. Right? Um. There, there were. It's it, people still argue whether it was a poem or whether it's just prose, but there was a detailed description given of the battle, much of which. Is uh, listen, everyone's got that mate, right? Who every time they tell a story, it gets better and better, right? And and they they they're more of a hero, or it's more of a disaster, or it just gets more interesting and more exaggerated every time. And I think sensible historians have sat down with, you know, the the records, the 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 accounts that we have of the Battle of Kadesh that were written by the Egyptians and just kind of dialed it back. A few notches and be like, right, okay. So Ramesses said he did that. Well, he probably did this instead. But nonetheless, right. Even if there is a bit of exaggeration, even if there is a bit of a sort of a get around in what a legend this bloke's this bloke's incredible. We do still have a uh, a reliable and and generally historically genuine account of what happened here, and that's hugely significant because this was three thousand years ago, and you know written history wasn't even really a thing at this point so this story that we have of ramesses and the battle of uh, the battle of kadesh that he fought here is enormously valuable to us in in painting a picture of not just what warfare and conflict was like back then but even just life on a day-to-day basis it's uh, it's a very very important uh, historical resource and it's been picked over by historians who are you know much smarter than I am uh, to give us a picture of, of this of this battle that is you know probably more accurate than the one that was portrayed in in the accounts that were written there and it's not just this account as well there's other written histories that uh, that make reference to the Battle of kadesh or the troops that were went there or even just stuff that you know enumerated the alliances and the people involved and all that sort of thing so it 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 is a well-documented piece of very ancient history and it is the reason that we're able to look on the Battle of Kadesh and even, you know, as a relatively minor battle in the grand scheme of things, it is of particular significance purely because one, it is so old and two, it is so well-documented for something that is that old. And uh, sort of, you know, uh, building on that, right, as we as we continue the story here, as we move away from the Battle of Kadesh and sort of widen the aperture to, to talk about the, the Hittite Egyptian conflict more broadly. There isn't as much detail to give to you here because a lot of this, again, falls into uh, not, not obscurity, but definitely the it, it falls into that realm where, with a lack of detail that we that that much of the history of this period has here. But in the time that followed, as I say, uh, the, the the campaign against the Hittites continued uh, from the Egyptian side of things. Ramesses he continued to uh, attempt to restore the glory of of old Egypt there, but neither side. Seemed to able to get really get get the better of the other. Any victories that Ramesses had, they were fleeting. He wasn't meaningfully able to I- increase Egypt's sphere of influence. He did have some pretty important uh, victories, but again, with various rebellions and and and, and vassal states causing him trouble, and uh, you know dissent fermenting away in in various areas under his control, he was never really able to, uh, to to you know nail put the nails in the coffin. And as a result, that broadly speaking, stuff didn't really change over the coming years. Between between the Hittite Empire and the Egyptians, it just sort of stayed the same because the Hittites, they were kind of outmatched by the Egyptians and were never able to punish any missteps or, uh, or, or try to, you know, counterattack against the Egyptians at any point because, again, they were just so outclassed by the, uh, by the raw power of Ramesses as, as time went on. I mean, that's not to say that they didn't try. Mu'atali did make a few forays into Egyptian territory here and there. But again, neither power was able to claim a total and complete victory at any point over the other. And a lot of the fighting, it has to be said too, this is an important point as well. None of the fighting really was actually directly between the Egyptians and the Hittites. After the Battle of Kadesh, there were vassals and proxies and indirect conflicts. I mean, basically, it was just a cold war 3,000 years ago (laughs) between these two because they were always sort of fighting each other at arm's length. Um, in fact the battle of kadesh was the only actual proper direct military engagement between the two nations throughout this entire conflict throughout this entire war anyway whether whether you know whether you want to call it hot or cold this war this conflict between the egyptians and the hittites it dragged on for over a decade with ups and downs and smiles and frowns at both sides but it did end kind of in a draw in a bit of a stalemate And it's this end, it's the end of the conflict that I want to talk about here, the way that it finally came to a conclusion, because it it involves this thing that I mentioned at the top of the show, history's first ever peace treaty. In 1258 BCE, around 15 years after the Battle of Kadesh, right, the two sides, they came together, so they decided to put it all behind them, they uh, they, they agreed not to fight anymore. Now, by now, Ramesses II, he had been the pharaoh for two decades Uh, although Muatali II had been succeeded. Now, he's not in charge of the Hittites anymore. It's a bloke instead named Hattusili III. And Ramesses and Hattusili they organized emissaries to meet up and negotiate a peace treaty, which went on to become the oldest one that we have on record. And happily, much of the text of this treaty survives to this day, which makes it all the more significant. It was inscribed in silver, and copies were made by both the Hittites and the Egyptians, copies uh, that, that still exist today. And uh, in this treaty, there's all the diplomatic nonsense about, you know, friendship and brotherhood and peace, as you'd expect. I mean, you get that for free, don't you? That, that always gets chucked into every peace treaty, no worries. But there's a lot of stuff, other stuff in there with much more teeth. Because rather than just being a peace treaty, if you'll believe it, this agreement made these two nations into allies, which is quite the turnaround considering they have been at war with each other, at least in a technical sense, for the last 15 years. They pledged to support each other militarily from threats, both internal and external. That's important. We'll come to that in just a second. Uh, Rebels or invaders, it didn't matter. They had each other's back. And that was just the start. Because they promised to repatriate prisoners and refugees. They drew up officially agreed upon borders for the two nations. And Ramesses even promised to support Hattusili and his successors with their claim to the Hittite throne, as of course it wasn't as ironclad as it could have been. We'll talk about that again in just a little bit. And to bind themselves to this treaty, both the Egyptian and the Hittite gods were called upon to be witnesses to the treaty's signing. I don't know if they actually turned up you know, physically there, but they definitely were called upon in any case. And uh, the threat of great curses and other divine punishments was, uh, were used to, you know, to, to, they were served to ensure that both parties upheld their side of the bargain. So as history's first ever peace treaty, it is a pretty bloody good one. It is symmetrical. It is balanced. It is full of mutual obligations, and it even sets up an alliance between the, these two former belligerents, rather than just a frosty peace. So, as as a as a mechanism to end what was basically a a, a war that had come to a stalemate, it was pretty equitable, and it was it's actually a, a, a very well thought out document. But on the face of it. It's a little bit weird to consider that these two nations, which obviously hated hated each other's guts, you know they'd been <laughs> they'd been at war with each, other, with each other for years. It's it's a bit weird to think that they would just do a you know great big one eighty pop shove it into an actual alliance. I mean, why? Egypt was a lot more powerful than than the Hittites could ever hope to be, and Ramesses was was gunning her, well, her, hard, well, kapeshing hard, short swording hard. Uh, to restore the glory of his of his predecessor, Tutmos Th- uh, there. So why stop and sign a peace treaty? This is really the, the the question here. Well, Ramesses actually showed very prudent judgment by abandoning his attempts to reconquer the vast territories of the Tutmosid pharaohs. His campaigning into the Hittite Empire had never gone too well. It never gone too badly, but it had never gone too well. And while a concerted, long-term, and fully mobilized effort may have eventually won out— it was actually a very clever thing for Ramesses to kind of cut his losses here. Ramesses sought a diplomatic victory rather than a military one with this treaty, something that would also bring a good deal of prosperity to his realm as well. This alliance, right, it expanded Egypt's trade network, it gave them access to Hittite ports, it saved them a bunch of money from not having to fight a war anymore. And it also led to an exchange of ideas and technologies between the two nations. Egypt has these incredible uh, advanced agriculture strats, and they were able to trade them for the Hittite knowledge of metalworking. However, underlying this, underlying all of I mean, these are all very good reasons to cut your losses, sign a treaty, and actually make the best of things. But underlying all of this that was that the treaty, right, once signed, when it was brought back to the respective nations, it was brought back in their own completely independent languages. And Ramesses, he got his PR people onto it in a major way. Let me tell you this. He sold it to the Egyptian people as a real win for Egypt, right? He sold it to them as though he'd beaten the Hittites. He'd forced them into submission by making them sign this treaty. And of course, while the treaty itself, while all the actual, you know, legally binding stuff of the treaty was very equitable, was very fair and was set out, uh, you know, broadly, symmetrically in, in both languages, that didn't stop Ramesses coming back and just shouting from the rooftops about how great a deal he'd, he'd snagged with this treaty for Egypt, right? Uh, he, you know, despite the fact that the the treaty was quite ep- equitable, the people of Egypt, I mean, they, they they didn't need to know that, right? Its depiction in Egypt was very, very, very ambitious in portraying Ramesses as a conquering hero. So once again, right, just like in Kadesh, Ramses was able to take a draw and spin it into a victory. And I tell you what, it did not harm his reputation whatsoever. Because all of a sudden, we have got this wealth, this peace, this prosperity flowing in and into and out of Egypt, and people are bloody loving it. They go, "This is all Ramses. It's all Egypt. what a hero. He's just he's so he's, You know what? He is just really great. We should start calling him Ramses the Great. There you go. That's a good idea." There was also one final other reason that heavily incentivized both nations to agree to this treaty and put their conflict behind them right, and actually embrace the alliance that came with the treaty. And this was the rise, the rise of the Assyrians and their military. Assyria was a threat to both Egypt and the Hittites. And so they were happy, they were quite happy, really, to sign a mutual defense pact in order to keep this emerging threat, this common enemy at bay. And this was particularly important for Hattuseles, as I said, because he was plagued with questions of legitimacy. He was seen by many as a usurper, and he feared that if he weren't, if he wasn't able to bring steady, stable, and prosperous, uh, you know, rural leadership to, to, to his nation, he may actually lose his crown. And so, much like Ramesses, if you'll believe it, he was able to make the treaty out to be a big win for him. You know, he's going, oh, look at this. I didn't just stop the war, but I'm also now mates with Ramesses. He's got my back. So if any of you blokes want to start raising your flag in rebellion, you better watch out because I've got bloody, I've got Ramesses at my back here and he's going to look after you, right? So I'm happy to say, really, at the end of the day, that the end of this story is a happy one. The story of history's first peace treaty has a happy ending. Neither the Egyptians nor the Hittites broke the agreement. And Ramesses even ended up marrying a Hittite princess in order to strengthen the alliance further. And rather than, you know, spend all this wealth on on war, Ramesses now had enormously expanded coffers that he poured instead into stuff like domestic building projects, the famous Abu Simbel temples and and, and things like that, which, again, only helped his reputation as, as one of Egypt's greatest pharaohs. So... The two nations in the wake of this treaty here, they enjoyed a prosperous and peaceful relationship that saw the flow and exchange of goods and ideas and a lot of wealth, uh, all for a very, very long time indeed. In fact, the Treaty of Kadesh, as it's known today, despite not really having all that much to do with Kadesh, (laughs) Kadesh isn't even mentioned in the treaty, um, it lasted almost a century until the fall of the Hittite Empire in 1178 BCE. And the treaty itself in a physical sense, survived a lot longer, all the way through to the present day. As I said before, today, you can see the Egyptian version inscribed on a wall in the Karnak Temple complex in Egypt, while the Hittite version was inscribed into into various clay tablets, which are on display uh, at the Istanbul Archaeology Museums in modern-day Turkey. And of course, very famously, a huge replica of the treaty is on display at the headquarters of the United Nations in New York City. Many, many leaders throughout history, and and even today, I think, I think they could have perhaps learnt a thing or two from Ramesses and Hatshepsut about making, and and about keeping an agreement like the Treaty of Kadesh for, for you know for the mutual benefits of uh, of everyone concerned. Peace treaties and alliances, they they don't often do what they're supposed to do. History is littered with examples of, of broken promises and ruined friendships. So at the end of the day, there's something very heartening, I think, about us getting it right the first time we tried it. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of the Battle of Kadesh and the Consequent Treaty as well, the Eternal Treaty of the Treaty of Kadesh. A very interesting story indeed. And, I mean, let's not forget, this happened... 3,000 years ago over 3,000 years ago and the level of detail we have of this story is just truly it's truly incredible that we can we can revisit something that happened so long ago and and explore it in such detail so once again thank you to uh, Odin Egan for sending in uh, this topic idea if you'd like to do the same thing of course here's all the boring housekeeping stuff halfhousehistory.net there's a contact form there that you can use to get in touch with the show or alternatively, you can go to bit.ly slash join Riley's Discord. I've got I set up a Discord server, and there is a Half-House History channel there where you can uh, discuss the show or uh, get the latest updates about when episodes are coming out, or indeed uh, suggest topics of your own in the Topic Suggestion channel. So uh, so if you feel like that, come and check that out. And uh, of course, if you want to buy some Half-House History swag, it's still on sale. T-shirts uh, starting to run out. Um, notebooks not running out at all. So if you want a notebook... <laughs> get across them (laughs) there's lots of them maybe ordered a few too many um and of course if you want to support the show in another way uh patreon always an option there you can get early uh, early access to shows uncut episodes as well listen to all my burps and my farts and my coughs uh that premium content you crave uh but even if you don't support the show financially thank you for just listening to it and you know spending half an hour or, or 40 minutes a week listening to me me talking about history i really appreciate you being part of this community and uh the numbers are going up and up, so thank you to everyone who is sharing the show uh, with friends, uh, relatives, enemies, uh, people that you feel ambivalent on about. It's very important. Got to get those. Got to get those numbers. I I feel like I'm always going to say rookie numbers in this racket, no matter how big they get. But it's it's good to see that the uh, you know the 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 show is is still growing. So thank you to everyone. Uh, special thank you to everyone who's out there spreading the good word of half-assed history. That is that for this week. However, thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back next week with more uh, historical nonsense for you to enjoy. If you've got a topic suggestion, please do send it in before then. But in the meantime, leaving you with a question, of course, to ponder, posed on Reddit. Now, we've spent a lot of time talking about ancient Egypt. We've spent a lot of time talking about, you know, various leaders and pharaohs and other people who brought who brought great glory to the uh, to the nation of Egypt. And uh, Reddit historian, oh, my goodness me, Reddit historian. Chicken Spanker, <laughs> which is just one of the best usernames I've ever come across. Reddit historian Chicken Spanker has a a very a, re- a very relevant question for us to ponder here. Chicken Spanker asks: Elvis Presley built Graceland in Memphis. Was this during the Old Kingdom or the New Kingdom? Wouldn't it have made more sense if they called him the Pharaoh instead of the King?